Hello, hello, hello. Bonjour, hi. Good morning, good night, and good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Diasporic Children of Indenture with me, Alex Bacchus. I use they, them pronouns in English, or yel en français, and in these next episodes of the series, we're going to be exploring indenture descendant identity reconciliation in learning about the francophonie or la francophonie and indenture. So the francophonie or la francophonie loosely is the selection of countries and regions around the world that today speak French. However, the francophonie is also an official organization and the francophonie and indenture intersect in multiple ways. One being the reality of francophone or French speaking former indenture sites, some of which today remain French colonies called overseas departments, but also there is significant settlement and migration of people descending from indenture who have now settled in Francophone or French-speaking host countries in diaspora. So in this part of Diaspora Children of Indenture, we will be exploring the questions of belonging and connections or lack thereof with South Asia, centering at the intersection of la francophonie and indenture. Don't forget to follow us at Diasporic Children of Indenture on Instagram. So please get out your devices, get out your phones, your tablets, your everything, your technology, and type it in at Diasporic Children of Indenture. And you can check out the website of the Digital Humanities Project with the link found in the bio of the Instagram page. And this podcast is streamable on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Anchor.fm. To continue this journey, today we're going to be talking with Manuela Lechmaya, who is a PhD researcher originally from Guadeloupe, now living in Manchester. Guadeloupe is an island, if you didn't know, located near to Dominica and St. Lucia. Guadeloupe is one of the French possessions called overseas departments in the Caribbean, though in other words, it's just a French colony. Guadeloupe, out of the other French possessions in the Caribbean, received the largest number of South Asian indentured laborers, mostly from southern India, or what would today be southern India, from French port cities, city-states, colonies, whatever you want to call them. Uh, one of the most notable ones being Pondicherry. Manuela is a PhD researcher in sociology and politics at the University of Manchester in the UK. In her PhD, she focuses on the emergence of South Asian identities in the French public space, looking at how French South Asians, both with an indenture background and those whose families migrated to France through more recent waves of migration, mobilize against state racism. Her academic and personal interests include questions of identity, belonging, and exclusion and have been shaped by her experiences as an Indo-Guadalupian woman, both in the Caribbean and in Europe. Let's get into our chat with Manuela now at the heart of Empire. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Soon-to-be Dr. Lechumaya. Bonjour, hi. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. It's, it's an honor to have you. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing okay, despite the British weather. <laughs> My gosh, it's it's always a, a winter, summer, spring. It's always the same, gloomy, dark, <laughs> um, wet. 
Today, I find myself in um, in what is known by the people of the Jahaga Nation as Jahjage, but uh, this land has been known by different names by different people who have settled here. But uh, the the main historical uh, custodians and caretakers of this land are the Jahjage people, also known as the Mohawk. Mohawk people, and this land today is colonially known as Montreal, Quebec, or Montreal, Quebec, and it's important that we, in as settlers, wherever we may be, recognize the true custodians and guardians of this land, and recognize how our recognize our privileges and the comforts of our lives come from their displacement and uh, from from their oppression and from their genocide and how we can use our privileges, our voices, our education to learn their struggles and be in better solidarity with them, but also uplift their voices. And at the same time, it's not purely about learning their struggles and how support how we can support them better, but also learning the beauty and riches of their culture, the true culture of this land and how we can celebrate that as well. Uh, but, uh, but Manuela, you are at the heart of empire. Where are you today, my dear? Uh, I'm currently in Manchester, UK. The heart of empire, my God, where it all began. <laughs> okay, I guess the heart of my 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 colonial trauma, the start of my colonial trauma, but maybe not the the start of yours. Um, but being uh, being um, that I am, I'm currently in in Montreal, in Jage, and you are uh, from Guadeloupe. I think it's very natural that this uh, this. That we have some sort of very uh, bilingual franglais, half French, half English. Maybe the math is not going to work out 100% like that. <laughs> but um, some sort of bilingual experience to help enlighten those of the Anglophone experience of English-speaking uh backgrounds and of French-speaking backgrounds. I might refer to that again and throughout the episode as Anglos and Francos for short, which is the common terminology here in, in Quebec. Um, um, so yes, you will hear some English, you will hear some French. Don't worry, you're all going to understand everything because we're repetitive and indecisive because we have not, I have not recovered from my intergenerational trauma. It's a process to continue. bonjour, <laughs> hi, good morning, good night, good afternoon. We are the, the, the children of indenture in diaspora. Les enfants des langagismes en diaspora. And that is it. Me, okay. Uh, let's start. Mm -hmm. Manuela, how do you like to have your names pronounced? Um, so my name is Manuela Latrumaya. So Latrumaya would be the French pronunciation. And if you want to pronounce it maybe as it was originally pronounced, it would be Lakshmaya. Don't really mind when my name gets mispronounced, but there are actually two things that make me very angry. So the first one is when people don't even try to pronounce it, their only excuse is usually that my name is quote-unquote too long or that it sounds quote-unquote too foreign. And the second one is when people ask me how to pronounce my name and immediately add, uh, I don't want to sound ignorant. This has happened to me many times and I don't like it because it makes me feel that they care more about not being seen as ignorant or racist than about pronouncing my name correctly. So they kind of make things about them. 
I haven't really considered before. Um, but wow, that is so true. Now that I think of it, as as you know, us with our with our, our brownness and our ethnic sounding names that are, um, you know, if people can say Tchaikovsky. Mm-hmm. They can say your name. They can say my name. But it's no, like exactly. The, but 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 specifically. But that that's so interesting. Specifically that like I I don't want to sound racist. I don't want like 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 sh- like sheltering it with what generally is white fragility. But of mm-hmm. course that can be applied to people of any ethnic or racial background. You mm-hmm. know. But that that fragility on top of it. Wow. Exactly. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for opening my eyes. <laughs> Um, okay, before we get into more of the questions, I just want to say uh, something very small. I wanted to say that, um, you know, there is no right or wrong answer to any of these questions. The answer to these questions are your truth. And in your truth, there is meaning. And it shouldn't feel, it should never be that you're not enough ex-identity. You're not enough Guadalupean. You're not enough in the Guadalupean, you're not enough Indian, whatever it should be, it, that, that, is not, that is not the case. The case is simply that this is the truth of your experience. And while that is also the case, this experience is uniquely yours. You do not speak for all people of Indo-Guadalupean heritage in, in sharing your truths, but I'm sure that there's a lot that people can relate to and, and, um, and connect with that might overlap with their own identities and resonate with them. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for for seeing this. Like you are awesome. You are doing. You everyone who's part of this podcast is doing really something incredible by like dedicating and sacrificing to the time to be part of this. But also like that is something that and sharing something that is truly a treasure and something that like it doesn't have to and should not be shared with everyone. But what you're doing really is is special. And I hope that from from like the something that this information that really has so much like cultural and uh, value maybe not uh yes it, it's it's something that you can't put a price tag on but i feel that it's something so wealthy and precious but i hope that people will be able to learn from this and open their eyes through learning the other experiences of people that don't have the same walks of life Uh, by trying out walking in the shoes of other people. Is that the expression in English? I'm not 100% sure. Mais, oui, comment, has we established already? Ça, ça va être un peu franglais. And um, well, once, that, once that starts, you know, the English and the French just blend together and do weird things. <laughs> Excuse me, bear with me. Bonjour, hi. Okay. Um, now... Manuela, I know you have some, you have some, some, um, some ads, some, uh, what is it called, some Instagram usernames that I think would be really educational for people to follow, whether they be Anglo or Franco, whether they be English speaking or French speaking. Where can people keep in touch with you and follow your journey and your work? Because you've, I love, I love some of the things you've done with your, your different pages. Thank you so much. So yeah, um, yeah. So I'm a member of the Spicy Davies uh, Collective, and it's a collective. Um, so I'm part of it with four other brown women who are based in Paris, and basically we focus on the experiences of brown people in France, but not just in France, but uh, let's say in francophone spaces in general. And we post mainly in French, but we also have a few posts in English. 
and uh, I used to post a lot on my blog called Nefilibata, but I haven't posted in a few months because I've decided to take a break from uh, writing as I also need to write a lot as part of my PhD, but that's where you can mainly follow my work and I sometimes post um, a few things as well that are relevant to understanding brown identities on my personal account, which is Angry Woman of Color, and on my other Instagram page, Brown and Francophone. Brown and Francophone is a mix of blogging and using academic resources to understand, for example, words that we use uh, commonly and that we take for granted, such as uh, coolie or Asian. And I try to sort of dissect the meaning of these words and understand for example, why they have a colonial connotation and why sometimes they are used in a problematic way. Oh, thank you. Everyone, you know where to go. Get out your phones. <laughs> Type that in. Uh, Mawela, where did you grow up and where do you call home today? So I grew up in Guadeloupe. I'm going to say Guadeloupe because I think it's uh, with the French accent, I think it's easier to pronounce for me. So I spent 17 years of my life in Guadeloupe. Uh, that's where all my family lives before moving to mainland France. So quote unquote mainland. I don't really like this expression. Uh, maybe we will be able to talk a bit more about that. Um, but yes, so I spent 17 years of my life in Guadeloupe and then I moved to quote unquote mainland France for university. And I currently live in Manchester, so in the UK. Um, I don't think I feel fully at home anywhere, but at the moment, at least, I feel very safe and happy in Manchester. For people that don't know, Guadeloupe is still a, a possession of France. It's one of France's overseas departments. Le Guadeloupe fait encore partie de la France. And... It's, it's still colonized, very much so. And uh, Guadeloupe, out of the other French possessions of the, of the Caribbean, so that would include that, in, that there, was, there was Haiti, mm -hmm. there, was there still is Guadeloupe, there's Martinique, there's French Guiana or Guyane. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I, I love Bambi ramping for us in English. Uh, Bambi, if you don't know, he's, is, a, is a Guyanese singer from French Guiana, but she sings in English sometimes too. And, and it's just all of the Guyanas represented through her words. And sorry, that, that is, a, that is a, um, moving off the itinerary of today. But no, mm -hmm. anyway, so yes, so there, there, was, there was Haiti, there still is Martinique, there still is Guadeloupe, there still is French Guiana. And then there's St. Martin, am I forgetting one? Uh, St. Bart's? Ah, yes, St. Bart's. Merci. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, but Guadeloupe was the, the possession out of all these these territories. Of course, Haiti is independent today. Uh, and uh, But Guadeloupe was the, the possession that received the most number of people indentured. Uh, yeah. And then, I can't, I think it was around 40,000 people. Yeah, I think it was around 42,000. Yeah, around 42, something like that. Martinique uh, received some as well. And then French Guiana received the smallest number and uh, of people indentured. However, French Guiana uh, today, it continues today to receive migrations of indentured descendants from Suriname and mm -hmm. from from uh, the Cooperative Republic of Guyana. Uh, my my 
ancestral heritage homeland uh, in in some way uh, commonly known as just Guyana but was British Guyana so the three Guyanas um, of course Suriname was Dutch Guyana if you didn't know that and so yes that that is the that is the the interesting experience of Indo-Caribbean people from the Francophone world or the French-speaking world, at least in the the Caribbean. Uh, of course, with uh, other episodes, as you may have seen already, or you will see as you continue to explore this podcast, this Digital Humanities site, there were other um, other Francophone sites of indenture, including Mauritius, Réunion, uh, and so those islands are in the... In the um, in the in the in, in the Indian Ocean, and as one of our guests said, uh, very uh, very well, uh, something I just really liked. Uh, Mauritius, uh, in in some ways, plays a role of citizen African citizenship, despite it being in the Indian Ocean. Anyway, but that is that. Thank you. Let us continue. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that feels most complete to your heart, how do you answer the question? Where does your family come from? Mm-hmm. I think that's a very interesting and tough question, and I think it also depends on where I am geographically. So, for example, when I'm in the UK, I usually say that my family were from India and then moved to the French Caribbean as indentured workers. But it's not very easy because a lot of people don't don't know about indenture or have never heard about Guadeloupe. And when, when they know about indenture or when they know about Guadeloupe, they sometimes don't know that Guadeloupe is still under French control. So sometimes they don't really understand that I'm a French citizen. So I would say that it's very hard to give an answer that will encompass every single aspect of my identity. And one thing that I think is very interesting about the origins of indenture in in Guadeloupe really is like how indenture came to be in in the French colonies and with the end of slavery mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with uh, the French powers. Now, if you don't know the history of how slavery came to end with within France and its colonial powers, it's really messed up. Basically, uh, the French were like, "Hi, okay, we are gonna." have a whole revolution and liberté fraternité égalité like liberty brotherhood and um but wait, what was other liberty fraternité égalité liberty freedom and equality and um and then uh and then a lot of and then it was like oh yay end of slavery and then no the french were like no you're still enslaved because we are right there is race we are racist the french are racist and uh <laughs> at that time period and we can look into that more today um but uh with the the the, the french were like no and they reinstated uh slavery even though uh freed uh guadalupeans uh free who i guess would have become guadalupeans but freed uh previously freed slaves were re-enslaved yes. after, uh, after, even though they had just defended the island from being captured by the British, which is, anyway, that it, it's so messed up. And then eventually, uh, France started trafficking and uh, importing bodies from South Asia to its various colonies. But what was unique about France compared to the British is that France had uh, various just port cities around the con- the subcontinent of South Asia, and one of the most prominent being Pondicherry or Pondicherry, and um, that is today in Tamil Nadu, uh, mm-hmm. but today is is its own like 
like a like city state, if you will, within India.、Um, But linguistically and culturally, the people were Tamil, and、uh, unlike the rest of the Caribbean, where a lot of people came from northern India or trafficked from northern India or whatever that was northern Hindustan, if you will, before the creation of the modern state of India. In the case of the French possessions、uh, and Guadeloupe, a lot of people, the majority of people, came from southern India. Yeah, exactly. Do you know how many generations have passed since your ancestors left India, or really the the subcontinent of South Asia? And how many、uh, generations have you been in diaspora? So I guess you, the easy part is, which you already responded to in a bit, is you you are you grew up in Guadeloupe, but you have since left. So you're the first person to be in diaspora, but. To the first part, and it's okay if you don't know the answer because I think it's very common for people not to know that answer. Yeah, exactly. So I think I have some ways to find out, but this is not necessarily something that my family、uh, talks about. But I would say that at least five generations have passed since my ancestors have left India. And as you said, so I, as, as I mentioned before, all my family lives in in Guadeloupe. I'm the first. A、person in my family who has left and who has settled in Europe, but this question is very interesting, and I feel like I would like to say something about that because I have the impression that you know when talking about people with an indentured background, I feel like most of the attention has been on people outside of these indentured sites. So, for example. I know a lot of attention has been on brown people with an indentured background who were born and raised in the U.S., in Canada, in the U.K. So, for example, I think that Gayatri Bahadur、um, was actually born and raised in the U.S., which is which is fine. But I, sometimes I find it a bit frustrating because it gives me it gives me the impression that only brown people with an indentured background from the quote unquote West. Are seen as worthy of attention, and I know that I'm privileged as well because I'm, you know, getting visibility、uh, because I can understand and speak English, and because I'm now based in the UK. But yeah, I wanted to emphasize, I guess, that someone, for example, born and raised in Guadeloupe, doesn't have the same lived experiences as someone of Indo-Guadeloupean parents, but born and raised. In Europe or in North America, and yeah, this is something. I'm, so I'm conscious of my privilege, but I'm also conscious of the fact that I feel very underrepresented as someone who was born and raised、uh, in Guadeloupe. I think that is such a really important point, and I know that's something we have kind of talked about a little bit before, but. Something that I have found through my own research and、uh, my own study of Guadeloupe and Creole is that there's like almost no, there's so few, they're close to not zero resources. There's just so so few resources that are written or、uh, available about whether they be academic texts or or other or other documents or sources of information that、uh, that speak about Indo-Guadeloupians. And、uh, and whether they be in diaspora, but the, the few that just have to do with the island, and the few that I've come、uh, to find haven't even been written by Guadeloupeans. They've been written by people from France.、Uh, another word I might use throughout this episode is the hexagon, which is a is a term commonly used in French to refer to France because it、uh, it kind of looks. Like a hexagon in some way, and that's a way to distinguish it from the overseas departments, which still form this very complex colonial 
power uh, dynamic today. But um, but I think that's something so crucial that we have to be aware of. Is like you know, it's not just us in diaspora. It's also the people still in the former indenture and former enslavement sites. Um, one thing though, I find I I'd like to be conscious of is like, for example, I. I grew up in the U.S. Uh, and I was born there, and I actually have never been to Guyana. And so, one thing I, in terms of my work focusing on diaspora, is um, you know what, be, as somebody who's never been to Guyana for a number of different reasons, but to to what extent is it fully fair for me to talk about the experience of Guyanese people in Guyana, and? Uh, and I think the work has to be done to to share the experience of those who are not in diaspora. That is is crucial to be done, and the intention has to go there. But at the other time, there's at the same time there's a negotiation of of power dynamics and structures that come with my immigration experience, or the, really of my of my family. Um, I didn't do the immigration. I, I didn't do the migration uh, to the U.S. Uh, but there are a lot of different power dynamics that come with the resources available to me from education to different things just that just come like I come from the global north I don't come from the global south in my own life experience but at the same time those of us in the global north those of us in diaspora have to do more to uplift the voices of our siblings our cousins those who we need to be in better solidarity with who are not in diaspora in the global north with us definitely have you been able to return to any of your recent or distant ancestral homelands? No, not yet. Uh, but I think it would be interesting, interesting, for example, to go uh, to India and, as you mentioned, so especially to Pondicherry. I think it would be very interesting identity-wise, but I have not been yet. And I think I would like to go one day. It would be interesting to see, you know, how people there will perceive me, how they will um let's say racialize me or what assumptions they will make about me but i no i have not been yet okay cool um what terminology do you use to describe your identity et, et quels sont les mots que tu préfères utiliser en, en français versus anglais je sais que, que tu as parlé en, en, un peu sur ce thème already but um i know you said uh, you use indian to describe yourself as as in the english context as, as but specifying that your family were taken to uh to um to the Caribbean as indentured workers. Uh, but it would be interesting to know the differences between English and French of what, what you like to use for yourself. Yeah, that's interesting. I think in English, so I say, I either say I'm a brown woman without giving too many details, or I say I'm an Indo-Caribbean woman with a French passport. In French, um, j'essaie de réfléchir. Ça fait, ça fait longtemps que j'ai pas eu à me définir en français. Euh, en général, je dis que je suis Guadeloupéenne. Voilà, je dis que je suis Guadeloupéenne d'origine indienne. Dans le contexte. Okay. What languages do you associate with your upbringing and your culture? Bien sûr, la France est fait partie de ça, mais. So definitely French. So French is my first language and uh, Guadeloupéenne Creole. Uh, Guadeloupean Creole, so is my parents' and grandparents' first language, and it's also the language in which my parents communicate. And for example, when my dad talks to me, 
uh, it's usually 50-50, so 50% of Creole and 50% of French. So I'm very familiar with Guadeloupian Creole and I definitely associate it with my upbringing, with my culture, but I'm not fully comfortable speaking in Guadeloupian Creole because I think my Creole is very French in the sense that when I was a child, so my parents would speak in Creole um, and sometimes they would talk to us in Creole as well, but we wouldn't be allowed to respond to them in Creole because in a lot of families in Guadeloupe um, there is this idea that children should only speak in French. Uh, I think there is a lot of shame that you know that pe people associate uh, Creole with shame, maybe with colonization. Uh, I think there is a lot of yeah, internalized shame and this is the reason why a lot of families don't want their children to speak in Creole. So there is the shame aspect and I guess there is maybe a more practical aspect as well. I feel like a lot of families assume that if their kids speak only speak French, then this may give them you know, an advantage when it will come to uh, access to higher education, access to jobs, universities uh, later on. That's something that I was saying to you before that I find seems to be occurring throughout the Francophone Caribbean. And mm -hmm. so I, I've kind of like spoken slightly about this of like how I'm studying um, uh, French based Creole, Guadeloupean Creole specifically. But for those of you Anglophones or from uh, who are not really familiar with what Creole is, just to give a little bit of context, like it, it really is the product of colonization and slavery and indenture of having people being trafficked from various places who speak different languages, whether you're speaking Tamil and Telugu or maybe Yoruba and other West African languages and then somebody speaking Bhojpuri and Awadi and then one person speaking Urdu, they can't really communicate and then you have the master who is saying, you sweep, you clean, uh, me master, me in charge. And that sort of construction is the basis of Creole languages, which can be based in whatever, it, in general, it's the basis of whatever the language of the colonial power was. Or in the case of my family, it was English, but I think people from Anglophone Caribbean places like Trinidad and Guyana haven't really reflected in majority about our language being called a Creole, being considered a Creole of what we speak with our grandparents and our parents or what they speak, but maybe we don't speak necessarily ourselves. And commonly it's referred to as broken English or in Creole, broke up English. Um, but that, that basically is what Creole is. Uh, and it, it's very interesting to see this, this continued, uh, the stigmas related to the Creole language by Creole speakers and people uh, who have been colonized. And I'm curious to see what that is like today in Guyana and Trinidad, again, places I have never been able to go to in my lifetime. And my connection really is solely through diaspora, through enclaves that exist in the New York area, in the greater Toronto area. But okay, thank you. Uh, okay, so... How would you relate to the continent of, or the subcontinent of South Asia, specifically the words India, uh, which of course today is it's, it's a state that was created in 1947, the word India, le mot Indian, uh, et aussi le mot desi, desi mm -hmm. the word desi. 
Yeah, thank you so much for this question. It's very interesting and I think thinking about India, I think for me India is a distant country, you know, where my cultural heritage originated, but I don't feel particularly close to India and I think my relationship with, with India and also Indianness is very ambiguous because for example, in Guadeloupe, I'm Indian. It's uh, it's an ethnic category. That's how people see me. Uh, I'm Indian when I'm there. But worldwide, there is um, a hierarchy of Indianness, and I feel like I'm at the bottom. So I'm, I'm going to try to explain. Um, but in this hierarchy of Indianness, I feel like a lot of Indians from India, so people who were born and raised in India, who have Indian citizenship, I feel like they place themselves at the bottom and act sort of as gatekeepers of Indian culture. And they sometimes see people with an indentured heritage as not quote unquote authentic enough, or they see us as watered down Indians because our culture has become hybridized. And then I think, so they are at the top of the hierarchy. And then I feel like people, um, people basically who were not born in India, who were born in West, again, quote unquote, Western countries, such as uh, France, the UK, the US, Canada, and who have a more direct link with India. So for example, people whose parents or grandparents immigrated from India to um, these countries. I feel like these people come next in the, um, in the hierarchy because I feel like, you know, talking about racialized people in Western Europe, uh, I feel like there is a mainstream narrative and it's a narrative about post-war immigration and this narrative associates all racialized peoples and groups with relatively recent waves of migration. And this is a narrative that often emphasizes how racialized people from current generations are located, quote-unquote, between two cultures. And of course, this history of post-war migration is important. You know, it's important to understand the history of certain racialized groups and to understand also how countries like France and the UK have treated formerly colonized peoples in the metropoles. But I think very often, only focusing on this narrative of post-war immigration erases other narratives. So for example, um, how slavery and indenture also played a role in understanding how certain racialized groups became French, British, Dutch, and so on. And then in this hierarchy, I think the next group will be people of an indenture background, but from places where Indians are either the majority or where Indians maybe constitute an important part of the population. So places like Fiji, Mauritius, um, Trinidad, Guyana, and then I feel like at the very bottom of the hierarchy, uh, you find you know people from Guadeloupe, uh, Martinique, so people from places where Indians are a minority, and people from places that are not directly linked um, to the British Empire. So yeah, I feel like I'm at the bottom of the hierarchy, and it's very hard for me to reclaim. Um, Indianness. It's an active process, but sometimes I'm, yeah, I don't feel legitimate, I guess, to call myself Indian, even though, as I said, I'm Indian when I'm in Guadeloupe. That's how the majority black population um, racializes me. That's also how my parents, that the, that's the adjective that my parents use, you know, to describe themselves. That is 
there's so much to unpack. That was beautifully said. That was that was that like deserves a medal. But that that was that, that was re- there was a lot of power to to what you just <laughs> said. And there's so much truth in that. Um, but I think it's also really interesting to consider how these terms change throughout space and time. And so I know that if I was to go to Guyana, uh, I would be seen as Indian, mm-hmm. and uh, or maybe those words have changed a bit today and maybe there are more people in Guyana using the term Indo-Guyanese, uh, Indo-Caribbean. But yeah. I know that with, for example, with my father, so I'm mixed race, uh, but with my father, the word that he uses is uh, is um, is Indian. He the, the terminology of that time was Indian and East Indian to describe yeah. his ethnic and racial identity. and really all of my Guyanese family that that is the word that they used and it's so it's like oh are you Indian or are you Guyanese but not really seeing the full nuances of all of that and meanwhile me in diaspora I personally prefer the the term Indo-Caribbean but I think it's so interesting to see and observe okay in one space this is the terminology but meanwhile in another space with other people and how you have to or how that changes specifically as you begin contextualizing your identity in relation to the people around you. I'm sorry to interrupt your listening and uh, je suis vraiment désolé, but as you may have come to see, this is the part where we break down our conversation into multiple parts. This has been part one of our conversation with Manuela in episode 5A. Look out for episode 5B on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Anchor Pod, uh, excuse me, Anchor FM. There we go. Turn on notifications. Look for us on Instagram at Diasport Children of Indenture. Turn on notifications there and you can find our next episode and be the first to know about it. We're going to continue our conversation next time with Manuela talking more about being Indo-Guadalupean and l'expérience avec la francophonie et l'engagisme. And you can follow Manuela at Angry Woman of Color. Color spelled C-O-L-O-U-R with a U. And you can also follow the gang, La Gang des Féministes Décoloniales et Sud-Asiatiques at Spicy Davy. That's D-E-V-I-F. Okay, thank you for listening. I look forward to next time. À la prochaine. À bientôt. Ciao, ciao.